Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. So honored to have you all here in our new series that we're midway through about our purpose statement. You know, on the screen, we're going to put something, an ancient artifact. Do we have that first image? Uh, It's an old ancient artifact, and I don't know if anybody has seen that. That is what is uh, the ancient ones of the 1900s called a cassette tape. And uh, when I was growing up, that was the only way that you could hear music again. Uh, You had the radio, and then you had your tape, and you made a tape from the radio. Now, I, I, that, sorry, for those of you that don't know about that, praise the Lord for technological advancement. So, what I would do is I would stay up late on Saturday night, and I would tape from two radio stations, 98.7 KISS FM, (laughs) 107.5 BLS. You would either be, you would either record Chuck Chill Out or you would record DJ Red Alert. For the, for the hearers that understand, praise the Lord. <laughs> so what would happen is as time would go on, I would sometimes fall asleep. And when I would fall asleep, my recorder would keep recording. And when it kept recording, hip hop and R&B would stop and worship would begin. So much so that my mama was listening to 98.7, only on Sunday mornings. And it was really interesting. I don't know who the guy was that had like hip hop and then just decided to turn it into gospel on Sunday mornings. But one thing was true about, at least in the black and brown community, Sundays were for church. And some of you grew up in a home that Sundays were for church. Or you come from an immigrant background and Sundays were for church. And our culture, in many ways, was shaped so that there was reverence around at least the word of God in church. In fact, there were people who say they were saved, and they weren't saved, but they wanted to communicate they were moral. So they would talk about going to church. They would talk about being a Christian. And so I say that because I believe that when I talk about Sundays being for church, Based upon the four spiritual categories we generally get people, you probably understand that. Some of the people we get are foreigners, meaning they don't, they've never really been to church and this is maybe their first experience. But others are slide backers, we call them, and those are people who backslid in college and then you're sliding back in and we always welcome you. And then there are wanderers, you're kind of figuring out church, you've been at different churches and you're not really sure if this is even a good fit for you yet. And then lastly, there are people who are transplants. You're coming from another church that was healthy and good, and now you're here and you want to worship with us, and you're just coming in to worship and grow. Wherever you're at in those categories, most of you have come up in a spiritual background, and here's what I want to be an encouragement for you today. If you're here on this day, on a Sunday, you are no longer going with the gravitational pull, the culture, you are going against the grain. And so I wanna just thank you for being here. And I wonder if we could just take a second, 
I'm not trying to give you praise, but just could you applaud yourself for being at church today? Just, just, just clap your hands, yes. They're like, should I clap? Because Sundays aren't for church. Sundays now are for yoga. Sundays are for brunch. And Sundays are for getting ready for the rest of the week. You are going against the grain just by being here. So here's what I want to acknowledge. If you're here today, if you're watching us, you want to grow. You decided not just to be watching online or being at home, you want to be here. No knock against people that are doing that. But you want to be in the house of the Lord. You want to worship with us. And because we know you're going against the grain of the culture, we want to equip you. We want to help you. That's much of our purpose statement we're going to talk about. Quick side note, um, because of the way we see the culture and where it's going, we do have an event coming up here uh, on October 14th. We don't have the Eventbrite link quite yet, but I just want you to be able to mark that down. October 14th, we are seeing a lot of people deal with new age spirituality. And so we do an event called Soul Cafe, where there's food and there's music and it's a great time. And uh, this year, our event will be called Centering Spirituality uh, because we will be dealing with the issue of new age spirituality and how it affects our culture. So we want to be able to have, and so some of you have friends right now that are figuring out their walk with God. And so we want to not only equip you, but we want to create an environment for your friends. Amen? Amen. So that will be coming up. Well, as I said, so our purpose statement is to help you go. In fact, we, we changed our purpose statement and we talked about that last week. Our purpose statement now is to reach people where they are and help them grow so they can impact the city for Jesus. And in short, uh, what you will hear more of is us saying reach, grow, impact. I wonder if you could say that with me. Reach, grow, impact. So that you've got to understand every element of that purpose statement are things that we're thinking about. But the reason why we think about them is because we are trying to get you to look more like Jesus. The reason why we want you to reach people is because Jesus was the kind of person that he was always putting himself in a position where he would reach anyone, whether they were a leper or a tax collector, whether they were rich or poor, he was always trying to reach people, make them more aware of his love. Not only that, but he wanted people to grow. Matthew 28, we're gonna deal with that in a second. Matthew 28, he was teaching them his commandments so that they would be able to learn how to glorify God. And then impacting the city, Jesus wanted a better city. Whatever city he was in, he wanted it to be a better city. And so we're gonna teach on that next week. But this Sunday, we are gonna deal with the issue of growth. You growing. You being the type of person that is continuing to grow. And as I said, if you're here today, I believe you want to grow. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 reads this way. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, uh, and lo, I'll be with you always. The scripture teaches us that Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. And in making a, disciples, he, making a disciple, he says, teach them to observe. In other words, teach them about how to live for God. So it's a very important that you understand that when we say we want to help you grow, we are trying to get you to be more like Jesus. 
A disciple is a student of Jesus. And so one thing it's important that you understand, discipleship is not a Christian term. It's actually a term used from Hellenism that was really about teaching, or they would call it a pedagogical term, a teaching term. Essentially, it's when a student wants to be just like the teacher. It's when a student wants to be just like and spends time with the teacher. Zeno was the founder of Stoicism, and the person that came after him that took over leadership was a gentleman named Cleanthes. And they would say of Cleanthes that he would spend time with him and he would mimic the way that Zeno would walk, talk, and lead. Because he, when, when Zeno left the scene, Cleanthes looked just like him, walked like him, talked like him. So it wasn't just that he had his teaching, he was living like the teacher. And in the same way, it is our job to help you become like the teacher to help you become like Jesus. It is our passion to help you grow. And I pray that it is your passion to grow. And this Sunday, what I wanna do is I wanna lean into how as a church, we want to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, amen? In order to do that, I wonder if you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter one. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. And let's look in verse 3. In verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, His divine power, uh, it should, that should say 1, that's my fault. It's 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. The context of 2 Peter, if many of you were here for 1 Peter, when we went through the series, hopefully, you'll remember it was a persecuted church. And there were people that were trying to figure out their faith in the midst of the Roman Empire. And now he's writing 2 Peter to the same church and these people, it's not so much that they're dealing with persecution, but they were dealing with false teaching. And one of the concerns that they had as that church was, how do we grow in our faith after persecution? How do we continue to grow? And he wants to tell them, even though you're dealing with false teachers, and even though you've dealt with persecution, he's trying to encourage them to continue in their growth. So what he says is, God has granted us, when he says granted, it's like he's given them, he's revealed himself, and he says he's given you all things pertaining to life and godliness. And another way of saying this is, he's telling the church, I know you're dealing with false teachers, and I know you're a young church, but here's what I want you to know. God has given you everything to live a godly life. You have everything you need for a godly life. And this was a church that did not have uh, teachers to subscribe to online. They did not have many churches they could choose from. They did not, they weren't embedded with tons of different content. They, and many of them didn't even have Bibles. But even with that, they knew the word of God from the teachings of Peter. And with the Holy Spirit, he tells them, you have everything you need to live a godly life. 
And I wanna encourage you with that word right now. You have everything you need to live a godly life. It is our tension within the culture because Christianity is within a market system that there are many teachers and leaders and thoughts about the faith in the market and we tend to think I need a new thing. And that church was wondering, man, how do I deal with false teaching? And they're like, man, how do we do it? And Peter is saying, I know there's a new teacher around and you're concerned and you don't know all the answers, but I want you to know you have everything you need to live a godly life. And I want you to understand he's not writing this to individuals. He's writing this to a community. And to our community, I encourage you with that. You have everything you need. And he tells us what we have. In verse 3, he says, his divine power has granted us this um, through the knowledge of him. So quickly understand, when he says through the knowledge of him, what he's saying is there are two words. In verse 6, he's going to come up with the word knowledge. And here he says knowledge as well, but they're two different Greek words. The word here in verse 3 is the word epinosis. And the word in verse six is the word gnosis. They both say knowledge. But the verse in, in verse six, the word gnosis there for knowledge means intellect, information, insights, facts. But the word epinosis means true knowledge, intimacies. In other words, he says in verse six, you can know about Jesus, but in verse three, it's actually knowing Jesus personally. Intimacy with Christ. And this is what, he, in essence, he is saying. You've got everything you need because of the word of God and the spirit of God to know him personally and intimately to live a godly life. You don't need a new teacher. You don't need a new conference. You don't need a new mentor. Those things are good, but you have everything you need to live a godly life. You have everything you need. You have everything you need. And so Peter is encouraging them to grow. And in verse 4, Peter says specifically, he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature. So notice two things he says. He says in verse 4, we have been granted precious promises, meaning we know what God will do. And then he says we have his divine nature, and he's talking about the spirit of God. We know that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's his promise. But we also know the embodiment of that is his spirit. He's saying, you've got everything you need. You have his spirit. You have his word. The desire that we often have in the Christian culture is for always having something new. And sometimes we think growth is when we hear something or we hear someone and we go like this, ooh, wow. And I think sometimes we want to be wowed into growth. And here's what's real. Getting wowed into growth will entertain you. Getting convicted by the Holy Spirit into growth will edify you. And what he's saying is you don't need a new teacher. The teacher's inside of you. You've got to understand, he's talking to an ancient community that didn't have content. They had people. They had each other. And the ancient method of growth is the Holy Spirit in his word. 
That's the ancient method. That's the way the word of God spread globally. The Holy Spirit and his word, not YouTube, not even a new church. And our church can do just so many limited things. But it's the Holy Spirit, his word amongst his people. That's how you grow. There's no new way. There's no new plan. There's no new thing. That's how you grow. And everything else is helpful, but not essential. The essentials of growth is the spirit of the living God and his word. And so Peter is going to actually, he's going to warn them or actually inform them about growing. He says in verse five through five, five through seven, he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. When he says this, notice how he keeps stacking the virtues. And what he's wanting to do is, when you notice, first he says, supplement your faith, he says the beginning of our walk is to have faith. But he says, you want to add to your faith with actual knowledge to know about Jesus. Then he says, add to that self-control. Keep stacking. And what he's trying to get at is he never wants them to become stagnant in their walk with God because they've achieved a new virtue. We're always holding virtues in tension. If we were to do a class on self-control, when you are done with that class, you still have to struggle with self-control, and we just finished doing a series on finances. How many of y'all just killing it? You're just killing it with your finances now. No, hopefully you're struggling well in the mighty name of Jesus. So now you've got to struggle well in your finances and struggle with self-control. So notice what he's saying, and here's what I want you to understand. This is why he says make every effort. Because he's wanting you to continue to have a passion for growth and never become stagnant. The way we often become stagnant is because we feel better because we've grown better than our friends or we've grown better than the people around us or we know a little bit more. And what he's saying is, I don't want you to grow stagnant. I want you to make every effort. So here's the thing. I just want you to understand there's a huge difference between making every effort and making an effort. Because oftentimes we're like, well, I tried. Well, I, you know, I read the book. Well, I took the class. And it, the Bible calls, talks, talks about crucifying our flesh, dying to self. It is a fight to grow. It will never be a simple step. That's why he says make every effort. Another way he could say this is constantly examine your walk with God. Be in a constant space of walking with God. And at the end of this passage, we're gonna look at this passage again at the very end, but at the end of this passage, he says something very interesting. He says, if the, in verse eight, if these qualities are yours, and what does he say? And are increasing. So if you find yourself acquiring a new spiritual discipline, to acquire a new discipline is not the same as to go deeper with it. He says we should increase in love, increase in self-control, that we would never become stagnant in our walk. He says, 
The truth is that growth is going to take an effort. It will not just happen. It will be the fight of your life to see your, cha- your behavior change by way of the Holy Spirit. So let's just take a look at these virtues he mentions. I'll, I'll, I'll break these virtues up really in two spheres, uh, private disciplines and public demeanor. In, in private disciplines, he says knowledge, self-control, and steadfastness. Knowledge, as we mentioned, your life will literally change when you become more accustomed to reading the word of God on a regular basis. Just taking in the word of God on a regular basis. I'm not talking about becoming a professor. I'm not talking about knowing Greek and Hebrew. I'm not talking about even memorizing scripture. I'm saying if you would make it a habit of your life to read, increase, and just know more about who God is from his word. The Bible is saying add, not, so the first thing he says is you have faith, okay, get knowledge. Because one of the dangers of our faith is when we have uninformed Christians. Because uninformed Christians create uninformed prayers and they make uninformed statements. And they will swear God told them when the Bible never said it. So just understand, knowledge is essential because we must know who we love, right? Imagine falling in love with, well, I guess online that can happen. Imagine falling in love with somebody you don't know. (laughs) Sorry. But if we want to (laughs) know... Loving God means knowing him, knowing him, right? So he says, add knowledge. So add knowledge, add knowledge. As a community, add knowledge. Then he says, self-control. Now understand this, for the most part, we don't know when you have knowledge. We know if you can teach, but we don't know when you have knowledge, you you know. We also don't know when you have self-control. Now what is self-control? It is your response to pressure. What kind of pressure, peer pressure? family pressure, job pressure, cultural pressure, all types of pressure are coming at you. And when you have the strength, the spiritual strength to not respond to the pressure, but to live for God, you are growing in self-control. In other words, you don't walk away with regret. You walk away saying, I walked, I meditated, I did what I felt like God was calling me to do. And I don't have the regret of that moment. And he's saying, this is a fight. It's a constant fight. And then thirdly here, for private discipline, steadfastness. The word steadfastness literally means to bear up under. The word functionally means just to be underneath something. The imagery of steadfastness is to have like a weight on you and you're able to carry it. He's talking about being patient and having endurance under trial. So much so that you are able to still love God, still talk to God, not plummet into despair, but rather continue to worship when your heart is broken. To continue moving, steadfastness. So notice knowledge, self-control, and steadfastness. Those are things that really only you and the Lord will know. We'll know to some degree, but only you and the Lord will know. But the second half of this is public demeanor. And, And here's a word that I really feel like is important for us. You know, as, a, as an old man now, I, I've, I've, honestly, I've seen the church change. And one of the changes I see in the church is we have a, we have a greater tendency towards low-risk relationships. Praise God. We, that was, that, that's my people. Those are my kids. We have a tendency towards low-risk relationships. 
And so we, we have become accustomed to navigating our life with people who are not actually in the room with us, but, but agree with us. So that means that we have, it's harder for us to be in a room with people we're not sure agree with us. And we have to be in that mystery of getting to know people. And so because of that, we have a lot of people who have grown accustomed to low risk relationship and they get the low, low reward of a surfacey relationship. No depth. And high risk relationships means you actually have to get to know people you're not sure will actually be committed to you in a year. It means you have to have that stability of continuing to press in. In fact, it's actually hanging around a little bit after church. It's, it's, it's signing up for what we have. But it's getting to know people. And so these other virtues are about taking the risk. Taking a higher risk. Because if you want to see more growth, it will be relationships. It will not just be knowledge. Because when it's just knowledge, that means you're a Christian that's just about gnosis. But we want to be a Christian that's epinosis, the true knowledge. And our Jesus didn't sit and teach in temples all day. He was out with the people. And he was loving people. And if you're going to grow in your relationship with Christ, one of the evidence of it will be, who are you amongst people? Notice the public demeanor side is godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Godliness is, it's, it's, it's a devotion to Christ, but it's a devotion to Christ in action. Godliness is really a compliment. If you just call yourself godly and no one agrees, that's a problem, right? <laughs> godliness is when we say, that person's godly. Because I can see their devotion to Christ. And I can see the humility that's happening in their life. I notice godliness in you. And secondly, it's brotherly affection. That's the Greek word Philadelphia. It means you have love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's literally talking about fellowship. How you are able to care for people. I, I know that. You don't just know that. You can say, I'm very, I'm, I have a lot of affection for people. Well, we know. We're, we're the ones that are able to tell you that. And then thirdly, it's love. Sacrificial love. Sacrificing yourself for the benefit of other people. We know that. We're able to tell you. And so community is the way that we are able to create this space of healthy growth. Is that making sense? Yes. So because of that, I want to just give you more of a uh, orientation side of our church and what we offer for discipleship in our church. We, we really offer three things, gatherings, community, and courses. Gatherings, community, and courses. When it comes to gatherings, one of the first things we do is we teach the word of God on Sundays. And so there are a lot of different ways you can do church. We have decided to be the kind of church that tries to, tries to expose the word of God each Sunday so that you can not only learn something about God, but you can know how to do it. Okay? Then we also have a Bible study on Wednesday nights. Well, Pastor Rasul, this year, will be walking you through the names of God. 
teaching you more about who God is. We also have a 6.30 prayer call Monday through Friday where we walk through an element of the word of God and we pray together. So we're gathering together throughout the week, Wednesdays, Sundays. Those are the systems that we've created for gatherings. Community. Our teens are, have been getting together and our teen uh, ministry, well, you can hear them right now. They, they are amazing and I just praise God for them uh, because they have really created a space for our teens to be with one another and grow together. We also have authentic brotherhood and authentic sisterhood, and we are, we are right now at the point of wanting to expand the amount of events that we do. Uh, we, we discovered by mistake, we, we did authentic brotherhood and sisterhood on the same day, and it was just a scheduling issue, but the single people were like, nice, nice. <laughs> They're like, I'm not mad about it. So we've, we discovered by mistake a good thing. But we are wanting to expand the amount of events that we do there. Growth groups, m- many of you know, some of you are in a growth group, maybe you've been in a growth group in the past. If you've heard about growth groups, you know we've moved to shared leadership. And that means that everybody that joins a growth group, we want you to be a member because we want you to be committed to Jesus and we're wanting you to take part of leading that group. I'll talk more about why we made that move in a second. And then lastly, courses. And this is just a pure educational side, not much relationship here. Uh, the first thing we do is our orientation, which is open house. You'll hear about that. That's, that happens almost on a monthly basis about knowing more about the church. But then we have a foundations class for baptismal candidates. We just started that up. If you're a baptismal candidate, hopefully you got an email, a text reminding you that we have that class coming up. And then every summer we do something called MTI. It's sometimes a challenge for us to do it, but that's Ministry Training Institute. We do that every summer to create an equipping space for our church. That's it. There's that. Wasn't, wasn't expecting clapping on that. <laughs> Let me just, so there are things that are not on there. And there might be something that you want on there. And let me just say this. One of the greatest things that I can have as a pastor is a person who says, I want to grow more. And I wonder, can we do something to grow more at this church? I love that. That is a very helpful thing. But here's what I want you to hear, and I want you to hear this from the bottom of my heart. When, we, when, when we're talking about gatherings, community, and courses, when we create that, we are essentially creating a system. Now, a system is a promise. When you walk into that class or you sign up, you're expecting us to have it together, have our slides together, you know, the room to be together, to get together. That, I don't know y'all know, this is a restaurant. All that takes time to shape and create. So when we do gatherings, courses, or community, it takes a lot of time to, sh- to create structure with, with those things. So essentially what we're saying is, if we're gonna start something, we're saying we're gonna deliver on a promise that that system's gonna work and it's gonna last. What that also means is if we don't have it, listen, hear my heart. If we don't have something, it's not because we don't want it and it's not because we don't know how to do it. If we don't have something, we probably don't have enough leaders to pull it off. When we look at leaders, and now this is, I want, listen, I want you to hear this. 
I'm talking not about church. I'm talking about the specific anointing on our church. We have decided to create a healthy system of discipleship. When we say a healthy system, we will only put leaders in place that have the character. That means they love under pressure. That character means you are a loving person at the end of the day. Gifting, that means we know you can do what you do. We're not doing it. You're doing it. Amen. Capacity. Capacity. You have the time. And in Brooklyn, New York, we have tons of gifted people. And we've got people of great character. Guess where we struggle the most? Capacity. And here, so, so often we get requests for things, but we're not getting the people to say, I'll do the request. And we get it. Because we want things that we may even not even have time to structure. So, but here's the thing. And, and the reason why we, we have these limited amount of things we do is because we've done it differently before. And guess what happened? We burnt out all the people that were giving the most. And so what we've decided is not to create an expansive, um, an expansive array of discipleship opportunities. We've decided to create a healthy discipleship system with healthy leaders. Because what ends up happening is we get requests and we respond to requests and then we burn one or two people out. And then 20% of people end up doing 80% of the work. So here's what I want to encourage you to know. It's our, it is our response. So I, I, I want you to hear this. I, if you email me or call me and say, I'd like to see this, that is not a problem for me. Never feel like that's a problem. That is a blessing to me. I, there's a lot of things people could be frustrated about. You know, the lights, the cameras. The, it, when people say, I want to grow more, praise God. That's a great, that's a, if that's a problem, that's a great problem. But you just have to hear my heart. We want to do it too, but we got to do it in a healthy way. So, so it's our responsibility as a church to create healthy discipleship systems but it is your spiritual responsibility to place yourself in that system. That's your responsibility. We can't, we can't make you do it. And if there's something more you want, you probably are gonna have to create it organically. It will not be a system. Know this though, know this. You're here. You're here. You came here because you wanted to grow. You, you came here because you wanted to experience something. And I want that for you. The request I get, I get the most is more, in, more intimate environments. I love that. But that's not a system we can create right now. But we want that for you. We want that for you. We're going to pray that over you. But I love the fact that you want to grow. Look at what Peter says in closing. He says in verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are cre increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he says ineffective, meaning you're not having the effect you think you're having, and unfruitful, meaning you're not seeing the Spirit of God work the way you thought. Which word do you think knowledge there is there? Gnosis or epinosis? It's epinosis. It's the word meaning intimate knowledge. You will not have the kind of intimate relationship or intimate knowledge of Jesus if you don't have those qualities growing. That's our desire, that you would have a passion for growth. We love that you have a passion for growth. And so, 
Peter closes it. He closes out this time. And he says something that I think is intended to shock the church. He says, whoever, verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. What Peter says there is, if you do not have a desire to grow, then maybe your vision of Jesus is blurry. You're nearsighted. You don't really see him. Or maybe you're blind. But he says, there's no way you saw the Jesus that I saw hanging there crucified, loving people to the very end. There's no way you saw him and you don't want to change. And in the same way, that would be my encouragement for you. There's no way you can have an encounter with the living God and not desire change. You didn't see him. You saw him? Oh, you must be nearsighted. You must be blind. You must have forgotten what you saw. Because if you saw the crucified Savior I saw that died on the cross for you, you would say, God, change me and make me more like you. And you would join whatever you can join and you would do whatever you can do to grow because we're here to help you grow. And we're here to help you grow because there's an anointing on your life. God wants to use you. And the Spirit of God wants to do something powerful through your life wherever you are. And so I pray that you saw him. I pray that you had an encounter with him. And if you have, it is our responsibility to help you grow. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you even now, teach us to be more like you. Teach us how to grow. Teach us that the Spirit of the living God has given us all that we need. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that we would be able to grow in such a way, God, that there's more glory, that the glory of the living God is just emanating from our life. We thank you, God. We bless you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I wonder if you'd stand with me. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 10.30 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.